disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. Television audiences are so unbelievably old. And whenever I say this and I tell people the Nielsen statistics, I feel like the guy in the big short saying the most obvious things and people yet still being blown away by them. CNBC's average viewer is 67 years old. Fox Business's average viewer is 69 years old. CNN's viewers is in the mid-60s. Fox Proper's viewer is north of 70, okay? Something is going to have to change. They say it ain't easy being cheesy, but John Steinberg of digital network Cheddar makes it look effortless, striking deals, drawing in millennials, and holding forth on the future of media on our fine program. So stay with us. Full disclosure is made possible by the support of Health Warrior, maker of Chia Bars. With only 5 grams of sugar total, 100 calories, and 4 grams of fiber, Health Warrior Bars have become a favorite power-up snack. They come in many flavors, including coconut, chocolate peanut butter, dark chocolate, banana nut, and my personal favorite, mango. You can find them at Whole Foods, Wegmans, Target, or for my RVA listeners, Elwood Thompson's. And if you're bold enough to buy a box of 15 bars, Get 15% off at healthwarrior.com by entering code FULL15 at checkout. And by the support of Elwood Thompson. Speaking of which, my favorite market in Virginia at the corner of Elwood's and Thompson's, hence the name, and at elwoodthompsons.com. You must visit. You must try breakfast there. You must try the incredible Blanchard coffees on tap and the growler scene and the wine bar at the beat and Indian Wednesdays, elwoodthompsons.com. Joining us from the weekend Wall Street, I guess, what, in East Hampton, is none other than John Steinberg, CEO and founder of Cheddar, which is the live and on-demand video news network. It's millennial-centric. It broadcasts weekdays from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, where oftentimes uh, Mr. Steinberg is the only human being standing. How are you? I'm good. And, you know, I I'm we actually broadcast from out here, too, from the Palm in East Hampton, uh, right in the heart of East Hampton. We've, we've done a bunch of... Uh, Friday broadcast. We're not doing it this this week, uh, but we've done it like five or six times now. Well, I don't want to short shrift you. You're also previously the former president and CEO of BuzzFeed, which has been hugely successful. Uh, you decamped to the uh, Daily Mail, which is just addictive to read. I mean, I, I can't get enough of their gossipy bylines with you know, 30, 40 photos. And in early 2016, you founded Cheddar. Uh, and most which importantly, is, though, I was your college classmate. You, you, you were my you classmate. You can't leave that out. You're I bumped a year older into you. I bumped into you in college. You were unusually precocious then. I mean, I, I, you were. I, you, <laughs> look who that's coming from. Look who that's coming from. Um, you were a year. You were a year older than me, right? Or are you older than me? Listen, I'm just a post millennial trying to, you know, scroll trying to get a nut. I mean, you're the star here. You got ten million dollars in funding from Comcast for Cheddar, which Comcast, after all, owns CNBC. Uh, we know that cable television writ large has seen better days. Oftentimes, I have spoken to college, you know, sophomores, seniors, even graduate students. None of them subscribe to cable. Why in the world would you go and invest in, you know, seemingly the, the, the pennies and nickels business of digital TV? Well, just to clarify, we've raised north of $30 million and Comcast uh, Ventures has participated in every round since the Series B. So they, I, I don't know if their total investment is up to $10 million yet, uh, but um, you know they're one of, uh, of many participants. But I love my investors there. Sam Landman um, is the partner from Comcast Ventures who's been with us, and he, he's, a tremendous, uh, he's been a tremendous partner to me. Can you get somebody to throw a couple mil at my great show, full disclosure? I mean, it could use some of that Comcast muscle. 
Um, you know, videos, <laughs> videos expensive. Even, even when you do it our way, it's expensive. But okay, let me answer your question. Your question basically is, um, why would, why would Comcast invest or why would I spend my time doing this? Which was the question? Well, look, I, Gosh, you're interrogating me. You're the guest on the show. Back off, no, I'm young man. For, I'm, 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 asking for, I'm asking for the no, here, let me, for clarification. Let me, let me clarify. Did you get a JD as yeah. well? Did you go to law school? Look, I, I'm, I, I know this, that, that TV, we know that it's a diminishing thing right now. It, it, generationally, it's not resounding. Cable subscriptions are being cut. You've seen ESPN's numbers and Disney's numbers, but that's still where the absolute huge dollars are in terms of advertising and subscription fees. We've not been convinced that there's a lot of money in straight to digital or you know over over the top tv answers of it i mean do you have faith that that kind of revenue will appear no no it'll never be that good i mean um you know the digital media business is never going to be as good as the newspaper business for any individual newspaper company because you're going from a quasi monopolist state uh, of uh, of existence where you had a few newspapers in a given market to a much more competed, diffused um, environment. And that's what we're seeing here as well, too. So, you know, is, is Cheddar ever going to have the revenue um, and the economics of a world where there was only a handful of cable networks or a handful of channels? No. Um, it's been a steady diffusion of dollars across more and more people. I don't, I don't think that um, – I, I don't think that any cable network today has the existence of ABC in its prime, right? With that said – we're going to have a great business. We're, we're going to do 10 million in revenue this year. Um, we're profitable some months because our revenue has ex- exceeded our, um, our expenditures. We've raised 32 million. We, we, we still have 26, 27 million in the bank, including capital expenditures. Um, so it's a much more, it's a much more efficient business, um, than the traditional ecosystem. Well, step back for a minute and tell me how you came up with the name and to staffing. I mean, obviously, if you were going to build this thing from scratch, there's no way to scale and come up with a competitor to say a CNBC. Not that you were doing that, but CNN, FN flamed out. I mean, Fox Biz, you, you hear it has good numbers. Uh, Bloomberg TV is is out there. But uh, in, in general, people watch this stuff on mute in uh, trading on trading floors and in bars in midtown Manhattan. Yes. Uh, where did you have this inspiration? We've seen you on CNBC quite a bit. You're eloquent. Yep. You're confident. You can riff on many things. Why did you want to go and invent this on your own? Because I, I always loved it. I mean, I watched CNBC in high school growing up. I mean, David Faber was always sort of my inspiration. Oh, he's so good. And, yeah. and when I saw – when I used to watch Squawk Box, um, you know, which I think started in 93 – I loved the style of it. It was these smart people discussing companies. Business was my interest. I was never athletic. I was never interested in sports. I liked innovation and companies and entrepreneurs. You know, I remember the day Netscape went public. You know, Mark Andreessen, you know, was my hero. It's it's what I liked, right? And when I did CNBC as a contributor while I was doing BuzzFeed and Daily Mail, I saw how efficient and magical live TV was in terms of the cost and the production and how it all worked. And then I said, you know what? The whole network should be technology, media, and entrepreneurship. It should, the whole network should be, not their whole network, but like a whole network should be Amazon, Netflix, Airbnb, Tesla, SpaceX. Like that, that should be the whole sandwich, right? Um, and I knew that I wanted to start my own company and nobody was working in live. Everybody was doing short form or highly produced dramas and comedies. And it seemed to me an open space. And, you know, your comment about on mute, I don't, I don't really take that as an insult. I think that's an opportunity. Not, not everything is meant to be watched the same way. A lot of people listen to cable news on satellite radio uh, with no visual. And a lot of people watch the visual and look up and tune in when there's something on that's uh, of interest. Um, 
you know, these are these are big opportunities. These are big white spaces. I mean, you can make the same criticism about radio. Oh, people eat or do other things while listening to radio, you know? Sure. You know, well, the other thing is that the exogenously or outside of this, it used to be much more of a stock pickers market and a stock following market. I mean, certainly at the turn of the century where, you know, Maria Bartiromo's name was being dropped on on the Sopranos or Carmela Soprano was saying, I watch CNBC. Uh, people were talking about Cisco and Yahoo at cocktail yep. parties. Yep. And as, as you followed quite a bit, it's become much more of an indexing market, like throw your hands up in the air. Don't really follow the daily movements of companies. Yes, we are intensely interested in what happens to a Chipotle or uh, rumors coming out of the iPhone 8, but not to the to the level of kind of it was must-see TV like it was yeah. in 99 and 2000. Right, and that's where the big – you know, with BuzzFeed, everybody used to always say to me, oh, BuzzFeed's a cat site, right? And for a long time, I would argue with them, and then I realized that, you know – if people are saying anything about you, you're sort of lucky. So, you know, so count your chickens, right? Um, uh, so when people want to say, oh, Cheddar is CNBC for millennials, like I'm not really going to argue with them because that, that's high praise as far as I'm concerned. But it really isn't what we, we are. And when I get asked in, you know, by an intelligent guy with you in a calm conversation, like, what is it? I think that's the time to explain it, you know? And the answer is we really are a news network. And we're a news network that chose as the soft space or the open door to go into. This idea that talking speakers, self-driving cars, rockets landing on their tails, Facebook changing the whole advertising world um, was a broadly interesting set of topics to a large group of people in their 20s through 40s. And that that would be the place to start in terms of covering live news. We don't really talk about stocks that much unless it's in the context of showing how bad is the qualitative story. There's another outbreak at Chipotle. Everybody understands and knows Chipotle because everybody sees and walks into a Chipotle. How bad is it? Well, the stock is down a few percent. So it's not as bad as it was last time. Now the story is in context for you with a score. That, that's what we do. We don't have a bunch of guys around a table arguing whether or not um, you know, Cisco or GE is a buy or a sell. That, that's not the story that we tell. Tell me this. Where are you getting the hits? Where is it chiefly getting distributed? Are people going to Cheddar? website no. are they coming to no. you through twitter through snapchat i mean what are what are those conduits to these stories yeah. i always i grew up with yahoo finance like you talk about netscape i bought it stupidly on the day of the ipo and i tracked it i would go into the computer labs in college and look up nscp on yahoo finance now for for 22 23 years uh, and yahoo finance has always been my go-to place for it. it 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 recently brought in the editor and the former editor-in-chief of fortune magazine it's andy. arguably yeah andy sir andy. one of the most valuable parts of yahoo which undoubtedly, is kind of a, undoubtedly undoubtedly right undoubtedly. And I, it's still it's still to my mind the kind of the go-to page if you're following stories through tickers is that a chief conduit is i mean where where are you where are you going to get nibbles there are two kinds of distribution there are two categories there's distribution where we have massive scale and low engagement um or it's, it's not entirely true because actually there's a fair amount of comments and a fair amount of, of liking so i would say facebook right facebook's where we have uh god i was just looking at the numbers i think we'll do 60 or 70 or, or maybe even 80 million facebook views um this month right then there is is platforms where we have deep, enduring engagement in lower volumes. So Sling TV, we're in the base bundle on Sling TV. We have people watch us for 30, 40 minutes on Sling TV. Now, whenever I tell someone, you know, I'm not actually really allowed to disclose our Sling numbers, but, but people know that Sling is a paid environment. 
Um, I don't know what the number they've disclosed is at this point, but I think it's in the range of one to two million people that are paying to get their television through Sling TV. By definition, we cannot have 80 million views a month on Sling TV. It's not possible because there's only, you know, X number of million subscribers on that platform. So I differentiate it into what I call kind of lightweight social, which acts as our marketing uh, for us, and then the deep engaged experience we have in the paid environment. We're also on Amazon where people can subscribe to our content on Amazon. We only make three hours a day free, but we broadcast eight hours live a day from nine to five. Our goal is to be in these paid skinny bundles that are now emerging. We want to be in every single one of them, and we, we don't want to let um, the cat out of the barn in a way that it diminishes our value by just giving away everything for free. So walk me through that. How are you paid, say, for the three hours that you you, you, you give across? Like a, a Sling bundle, would they pay you something? Would a Hulu pay you something? Or or suppose Netflix uh, yes. morphs into something bigger. Are they – I mean not like you know, ESPN is uh, getting paid $3 I, yes, by the I, I cable will tell you, uh, yeah. I, I will tell you our economics. I won't speak to our relationship with any existing partner. No, no, no. no. That's, that's, con- that's fine. No, no, that's but confidential. Here, but, but, but I want to no, see how no, it works. No, yes. Here's how it works. And here's, here's the offer to any skinny – bundle partner that we're not yet in, okay? When in our free environment on Facebook and Twitter, we do live read branded integrations. Fidelity, Goldman, uh, TradeStation, Ally Bank, American Express, uh, we have an enormous, uh, HP, Dunkin' Donuts, we have an enormous amount of endemic financial and business advertisers where we do um, a live read um, branded content on the air, and that's the vast majority of, of our revenue right now. That's where the roughly million dollars a month in revenue um, is coming from right so now. So stop right there. It's not like you're going to run a mid-roll ad or somebody hasn't have to watch no. a 25-second thing from Fido to, to see Kristen Scholler. Right. We use the Fidelity app live integrated into the broadcast to look up a stock, look up an indicator, look up a bearish or bullish indicator. Uh, we do a 30-minute show called Your Cheddar with Ally, which is a personal finance show brought to you by Ally with branding on the screen. Now, you know, look, Melissa Rosenthal from BuzzFeed was uh, my partner there who built the branded content team. She's with me at Cheddar now. She's our executive vice president. Our our view on ads is we take whatever was good in the 50s and we just update it for the, for the modern era. At BuzzFeed, we did advertorials, and we were proud to do advertorials because David Ogilvy did advertorials, and he's the king, you know? Now what we do is a merge of bottom-of-the-screen sponsorships like they do on cable television and the Camel Caravan Hour. Like that, all the good advertising was done in the 50s, basically. So to understand this, I mean, these are product placement things. I'll see you or Kristen or somebody with a cup of Dunkin' coffee, um, and you'll see a Fidelity logo or a read-through. And we also do, but, you know, on traditional cable television, there's just a logo or a placement, and there's no reference given to the brand. We explain the relation. So for Duncan, we do a segment called the grab and go, the five stories to get you through the day, or what keeps you going, where we do an interview with a high-powered executive while drinking Dunkin' Donuts coffee, asking them about their management and operational tactics. John, are you willing, to take, a a cam- are you willing to take a camel smoke break outside on Wall Street? No, you know, and I don't have to. So, no, I, I mean, you know, you, you always get asked these questions in branded content advertising that you don't get asked in traditional advertising, but yet the ethical decisions and quandaries remain exactly the same. Is there really any difference in a fully disclosed native spot versus a 30-second commercial? You have the same choice to take as to whether or not you have the um, have the ad run or not. And if the disclosure is there, it's effectively the same. So no, we're not taking cigarette advertising. Full disclosure, we are talking to John Steinberg. He is the uh, wunderkind, uh, the precocious CEO and founder of Cheddar, the very talked about 
uh, live and on-demand video news network about business, culture. It broadcasts weekly from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ market site, and even the Flatiron Building. I mean, you guys, uh, you could just pick up and go anywhere. It's not like you have a unionized TV crew or a big control room in, in Rockefeller Center or Fort Lee, New Jersey. We do have two control rooms that we built ourselves um, using, you know, and it's the team did a beautiful job. I mean, we hung the TVs ourselves. We built out the whole control room. We installed the whole stuff. It's PC based. We, we do we do control rooms. We do excel at real estate. I mean, we, we've been privileged to have amazing real estate partners, you know, uh, or partners that bring us real estate. I mean, the New York Stock Exchange is an investor in the company. Now, Tom Farley, the president there, has been you know, recognized since day one that we were people worth betting on. Uh, they're an investor. And, um, you know, Sprint, I went to Marcelo Clark. Uh, the CEO of Sprint and told him his vision for what I wanted to do. And then I wanted to make the corner of their store in the Flatiron building into a studio. Um, and he said, yes. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we think this is a visual medium. It's what I call window on the world medium. And you can't do that in a green screen. The, the audience needs to see the visuals. Well, talk to me about doing it in terms of equipment light. I mean, I, I've, we've interviewed, um, uh, the guys from Raconteur, they did Cocaine Cowboys. Originally, you know, in 2006, they said that, you know, we were at a huge disadvantage. If you were going up against the Universal Pictures or someone who had to raise, say, $30 million for a movie and you had Klieg lights and uh, catering trucks and everything. I mean, we did everything on the skinny in terms of raising money and telling our investors and, and actually being scrappy. But you're also talking about the slippery slope of not looking cheap. I mean, you have 4K out there. You want to be polished. You want to be ubiquitous. You want to pounce on stories. So it's not like you're going to patch in someone on a, on a kind of a cheesy, you know, FaceTime or Skype connection in a, in a city where there's breaking news. You do have to have standards. Yes. And it's, you know, it's a constant, um, it's a constant weighing of things, right? I mean, the, the cost has come down dramatically. And, you know, like I said, we've done this all on capital expenditures. We're doing eight hours a day with capital expenditures of two to $3 million. Um, it costs us a million dollars a month to run the business. It's largely headcount. We have 70 people to do eight hours. Um, but, you know, there's there's been a lot of, um, you know, we don't have the legacy infrastructure that a lot of the cable companies do that, that that's very or the cable networks do. Let me rephrase that. That's very expensive. You know, we, we kind of built this all ourselves. We hired talented engineers who were able to come in and figure out hacks and figure out ways of doing it with, uh, you know, racks of servers as opposed to old school big iron. Um, and, yes, it's come down dramatically. No doubt about it. I mean, John, step back for a minute and talk to me about the, the future of cable television writ large. I mean, you know, the, the, the relationship of paying 100 to 130 bucks a month to a Cox, to a Charter, to a Comcast. I'm just 41 years old. I'm not the whippersnapper that I used to be, the, you know, the 20-something heartthrob when you first met me. But I feel like an old man whenever, <laughs> whenever I turn on – I mean, it's very rare. I love CNBC, but it feels really foreign to me to actually turn on the television and ask myself again, why am I paying Comcast all this money? I mean, after yes. all, I end up consuming this stuff like with everybody else. The rest of the world watches John Oliver either on a shared HBO password or watches it Monday morning on Facebook. And I see those CNBC clips on Yahoo Finance. Where is this entire kind of cable bundle headed? Well, let me let me walk you through what happened. I'm unbelievably sympathetic um, and you know, sort of in love with the cable companies, so to speak. You know, my investors are AT&T, Comcast and Altice, right? What happened was the, and, and we use the term cable and cable systems and cable networks. People get a little bit confused. So, so let's walk through it. Okay. When you look at a group of cable channels, a conglomerate like a Discovery um, or a Scripps 
or an NBC Universal or a Fox, right? Um, NBC Universal obviously being complicated because it's owned by Comcast. These groups progressively raised their prices on the cable system operators. So Fox kept raising the prices on Comcast. ESPN being the best example, kept raising the price that they were getting for every single person on Comcast system or on Charter system or on Time Warner system. For a while, that was okay. And the cable system operators, the Comcast, would pass those price increases on to the end consumer. It worked longer than people thought it would work. But eventually, in the past few years, the consumer said, I can't bear it anymore. The bill is too high. I can get all this content on the Internet or good enough replacement on the Internet, and I don't want to pay $180 a month for stuff that I don't watch. Look, the ESPN thing is amazing. Every consumer who has a cable system, a cable video package in the United States, is paying $9 a month for ESPN, and 50% of them don't watch it. That is insane. That is eventually what caused the system to collapse, which was the consumer couldn't bear it. The consumer went to the cable company, thought that it was the cable company's fault. And the cable company said, oh, oh, geez, this is not our fault. We need to lower content costs. And that's effectively what's happening now. So, I, I mean, I, here's the thing. The ubiquitous you – have, you have an iPhone. I have an iPhone. I'm looking at a MacBook right now. Apple is the – you'd say micro, Microsoft of our decade, if you will. The operating system is there. I also shelled out and bought an Apple TV. I love it, but I hardly use it. It's yes. not that indispensable. Yes. And I don't know if I'm going to go in there and get a Cheddar app. I mean I have – you know, CBSN no, is trying to will. get me to watch I, that I don't stuff. think you will. But I don't I, think you will. My question is, why have they so half-assed it? I'm asking you to pivot a bit. I mean, Apple, yes. you would think, is existentially threatened by the fact that people aren't really going to buy movies on right. iTunes. And you, know, and, and you know who's not, you know who's not um, whipping it is Roku, right? And you know, Roku has been um, the uh, sort of a stealth giant in a way. They're on the verge of going public now if the reports that we read are true. Um, I think they've got 25% of the market. Uh, a lot of the TVs being sold now are being built with this, um, with Roku integrated into it. And here, here's what I think. The, the connected TV market is a smaller market now. Um, but what's going to happen is this. Everybody's going to have a TV. They're cheaper. They're easy to hang now because they're much lighter. People are going to graduate college and they're going to hang TVs on their walls because the TVs cost three or 400 bucks. Um, and they're not going to get a cable box. They're going to connect them to the internet. And there's going to be a whole new raft of players. Um, people are going to have Netflix and they're going to have Amazon Video. And then they're going to have Sling TV or DirecTV Now or YouTube TV um, or, or um, one of these skinny bundle packages that's going to provide them their news and information content um, to, to complement the on-demand dramas and comedies they're getting from Netflix. And I believe that's the way things will play out. Now, what about Netflix? I mean, uh, is that is that uh, are you convinced? I mean, they've been very liberal in the past with people sharing passwords. And I meet a lot of younger people who still brag, you know, I'm, I'm borrowing my dad's password. My parents are paying for this. And ditto with with HBO Go or HBO On Demand. Have you seen concrete evidence that when you put good content out there, it doesn't need to be cross-subsidized like with an Amazon Prime video thing that actual millennials are going to pay for that access? I think that people want – I think that people want bundles of things. Um, history has shown us that. I, I don't think there's a large market for a la carte media. Um, 
you know, well, why, well, why not, John? I mean, I if I take that that notional hundred dollars, let's say that I give to the cable company, I know a ton of it is going to have to be for a decent Wi-Fi. I mean, if I'm moving into a new place right now, out of out of college, 22 years old, I'm going to put a chunk of that, let's say, into my Spotify account. Those things yep. are non-negotiable. Everybody is asking me, like the New York Times had great numbers yesterday, great digital subscriber additions. It yeah. is increasingly becoming an a la carte world. But at some point, as you know, you do hit up against that $100 number and people are going to be like, oh, another player is yet asking me to pay up front. I don't think it's as much about the money. And look, the New York Times digital subscriber numbers are still tiny. I mean, it's the New York Times, right? So you're, you're saying, is there an audience for people that want that? Yes. But like, you know, not a lot of people want to go to a soup restaurant. Not a lot of people want to go to a bread restaurant. You know, you, you go to a restaurant, you want to be able to have a full meal. And people want different kinds of restaurants, but ultimately they want an appetizer, an entree. They want to be able to have, you know, water or a soda. Um, you don't go to a soda restaurant. So it, it's sort of a little anachronistic. I mean, you, you cannot split the consumer purchase into a thousand pieces. Can you do it into five or six pieces? A music service. Uh, a long form drama and comedy service and then kind of a news service or a news and sort of, uh, um, you know, live linear set of, of uh, video experiences. Sure. But I, I don't think people want to subscribe to 50 media services. So what about the big player with the, the big players with their feet in the door? I mean, they talk about the fangs, as you know, Facebook, Apple, you know, Google. And the like, I mean, Apple, for example, if you are going to up the services part of your business right now, not just iCloud and, uh, you know, maybe an Apple TV service or Apple Music, why wouldn't something like a Netflix make sense? Like to have that pre-installed on the iPad and the iPhone and then say, you know what, you can pay us now $15 a month and get this incredible suite. I mean, effectively, your iPhone, your smartphone has become your new cable box. It's become your new You're asking why does Apple not buy Netflix? Is that your question? My question broadly, I'm looking at Apple, I'm looking at Google, which has a, a big vested interest in Android being popular. Why aren't yeah. one of them going back in? At this point, what the conventional wisdom is that they're all behind in original content, in millennial-centric content. Um, yeah, I guess, does it make sense for them to buy a Netflix? Does it make I, I, sense I, for them to take a stake in Hulu? I, you know, I've never been particularly successful in, in like guessing like who's going to be the one that wins at the thing. I think I have a pretty good track record of, of like, thinking about how the world is going to shake out. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, could Apple end up being the, de the defining source for media and, and subsume, you know, Netflix and the traditional cable uh, networks and be the place where you go and get all of your entertainment? You know, sure. And, and if, if you had said, would Apple be the leading, most profitable maker of smartphones when you and I were in college, people would have, you would have gotten thrown out of class because Apple was a bankrupt company, right? Exactly. Um, 20 years so, ago this month, was it, that it was teetering on the verge of bankruptcy and it took I that mean, infusion? You know, on Apple, um, you know, it, it is, it is surprising. Um, it is surprising that they haven't been more aggressive in this, but if you look at Apple, Apple is historically somebody that takes their time and, and then wins, right? That's almost every product that they've, they've gone into at this point. Um, you know, why does Apple not buy Netflix? Why does Disney not buy Netflix? I, I think people just feel that it's really expensive, right? And no matter how attractive it is, it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's very, very expensive for what it is at this point. John, what about this AT&T Time Warner dynamic? I mean, what was really surprising to me is when they, I think our T-Mobile came out, uh, several months ago and said that they you can now stream MLB baseball for free on their data or they have a special data packet yeah. for people yeah. that want to watch video. Is that a game changer at a certain point when you do not have to worry about your cable company or say Verizon Fios and you could just stream 
with impunity and not worry about your data cap? Well, this is I mean, this is my argument for, you know, I, I come down on the side of, um, you know, less regulation um, and more free market and more competition allowance um, in these spaces. You know, I, I think that the cable companies, again, most of these cable companies are my investors. So let that disclosure be what it is. Um, you know, I don't understand why they're not allowed to compete and do what they want to do. You know, their, their cost of infrastructure, whether you're a wireless carrier or you're putting um, lines in the ground, is incredibly enormous. Um, as you and I have discussed during the bulk of this interview, you, they've now lost their franchise or their dominant position in being the only place you can get content. So effectively, they're, they're distributors, they're bandwidth providers, they're data providers, but yet they're not allowed to make money off of that. And, and in a world where where I do believe the wireless and wireline people are, are going to be competing with one another, um, it strikes me as unbelievably unfair. Unbelievably unfair when you compare what Google and Facebook have been allowed to do um, in terms of targeting everything, being gatekeepers to everything, determining who sees what, um, having this dominant position over um, over the media. So, you know, I, I think the government would be better looking at, at Facebook and Google than the telecoms. But is it an overreaction on my part? Am I being too breathless in saying that it's it's a killer app when an AT&T wireless says you buy our smartphone plan, um, which, you know, has to prove itself against Verizon and T-Mobile and even Sprint. And we'll give you we'll throw in HBO for free and you could stream it on the data plan. You don't have to worry about being on a Wi-Fi. No, I, 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 yeah, I think you are breathless. I, I think you are breathless because because it's not. You know, is that an attractive competitive offering? Certainly. Is the fact that Facebook is now going to go into original content um, with its two billion global members uh, a threat and something that makes it increasingly hard for uh, you know for an AT and T to compete? Yeah, absolutely. And then what is Netflix going to do? And what is Apple going to do? And what is Google going to do? Amazon bought NFL rights. I mean, it is the most competitive time. Um, in media in human history. Now, of course, ten years from now, it'll be even more competitive because that just seems to be the way that the world goes. Um, and it's an amazing period of time for the consumer. I mean, to your point, if you wanted news 15 years ago, you had to you had to get a cable service. You, you had no choice, right? Now, to your point, I mean, how many millennials do you interact with or have as employees or I have as employees who have no broadband at home and just have their phone? I mean, it, 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 that that is staggering. We are talking to John Steinberg, CEO and founder of Cheddar. He was a strategic partner, development manager on Google's small, medium business partnerships team. He was an executive in residence at Polaris Venture Partners, and uh, you were previously at BuzzFeed. In fact, you joined when it was a 15-person company. Is that right? That is right. Uh, what was the what right. was the secret sauce there uh, that that came out of left field? I mean, I I don't understand it. I understand that that BuzzFeed is is rather unabashed about its relationship with advertisers, and you have to embrace them and bring it in. But I again, I am of that school of thought that thinks it's just you know quirky uh, uh, listicles about um, sex and uh, cats and and stuff like this. I, I I don't understand what the the brilliance is that it's worth as much as it is. Well. First of all, I mean, look at the dominant position that it has in culture now. And not only that, look at the quality of the news reporting that Ben Smith's team is doing. I mean, it, you know, it, it's a bit like saying that the New York Times is only the style section, right? Uh, and only about fancy garden parties that, you know, I, I've always felt that that criticism is unfair. And even in the time that I've left, the amount of news reporting um, and video production that's going on in that organization is um, 
I mean, it's it's just tremendous but by stop, any stop on by that any point. measure. Is the, is the yeah. hard news making money, or is that is that is a cross subsidy like the way the New Yorker is at Con Conde Nast, or others have always been subsidized? Kaplan was subsidizing the Washington right. Post for the I, longest I, time. I, so I don't want to comment specifically on BuzzFeed's economics, which I don't know. I've been gone years, right? But but let's talk about NBC's economics, okay? Yes. All right. That's like saying, does NBC Nightly News make money or does Fear Factor make money? The reality is that media companies and, you know, Jonah actually, BuzzFeed, I think, wrote a, wrote a piece about this. To be a media company, to be Time Magazine has always been a collection of hard news, entertainment news, social news of the day. Um, you know, and in some cases, you know, local classified ads, right? So this idea that the Internet created the and you know, with Cheddar, I've I recently got people have given me some hard time about this as well too. With Cheddar, we make these little videos of like, um, you know, a motorcycle that becomes a jet ski, and the guy drives into the water on the motorcycle, and then it becomes a jet ski, and people are like, "Oh, that's so stupid! Doesn't that undermine, um, you know, Cheddar's value?" Well, that, that's like saying like, you know, isn't NBC Nightly News's value undermined by Friends being such a stupid show? You, you know. It, it, <laughs> There's always a balanced meal. It's always a balanced meal. Dessert does not mean you didn't eat your broccoli. Mm. John, in the five minutes or so we have left with you, I encourage you and invite you to go freestyle. Uh, tell me where things are headed, what you think anticipation is. It's still a rather frothy uh, market in terms of uh, content availability and um, uh, funding of new projects. Uh, do you have a contrarian take on this? Are there things that I should be asking you? I think that it is less frothy than people say that it is. And this stuff is, you know, less capital intensive. You know, when people talk about people say, oh, God, John, you raised, you know, 30 million bucks. Right. That's a lot of money. First of all, we're sitting on most of it. And second of all, you know, that's like, uh, you know, there are townhouses or apartments in on Park Avenue that sell for more than that. Right. So, you know, for something that, that's transformative to an entire category of media, that doesn't seem like a lot of capital. The other point that I would make is this television audiences are so unbelievably old. And whenever I say this and I tell people the Nielsen statistics, I feel like the guy in the big short saying the most obvious things and people yet still being blown away by them. CNBC's average viewer is 67 years old. Fox Business's average viewer is 69 years old. CNN's viewers is in the mid-60s. Fox Proper's viewer is north of 70, okay? Something is going to have to change. And it's unbelievably hard, if not impossible, to program to an audience of 60-year-olds while simultaneously programming to an audience of 20 through 40-year-olds. The fact that they have allowed these audiences to get so old has created enormous opportunity. And when you talk about the number of digital media companies that are now trying to create content for millennials, and then everybody gets a hard time because they're using the term millennial, right? So, But let's just say people in their 20s through 40s, right? There isn't a lot of them. You can rattle them off with one or two hands. Vox, Vice, BuzzFeed, Mike, Bustle, Refinery. Um, you know, it, it's not a it's not a long list of people that are trying to fill a void that's creating by traditional media companies aging into oblivion. You also advise the skim, I'm told. How did that come about? Carly and Danielle are just tremendous executives. Um, and you know, media is a very small community. It's not, you know, this goes back to the point I was making, which is it's not like Silicon Valley where on every corner, um, there's a different startup making an app. You know, there, we all know each other. Um, and you know, that's not because it's like, you know, uh, some, some coffee party or something. It's just because if you're operating a media company, you're probably in New York. Um, and there's only, you know, I think it would be very hard to get to a list of 50 people doing these. It would be impossible to get to a list of 100. Um, and, you know, look, you, you need people to cry in your scotch with. Um, you know, I certainly do.
Uh, let's cry on the scotch. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Uh, what happens to Fortune Magazine, curiously? I mean, my old alma mater, Business Week, was uh, rescued by Mike Bloomberg when McGraw-Hill wanted to kind of wash yes. its hands of it. Uh, Forbes has, has seen better days. It tried to sell to a, a group in Asia, and I think that deal fell apart. And now we're told that Time, Inc., broadly, which was kicked to the curb by Time Warner and saddled with debt, uh, wants to find buyers for individual titles. What happens to a storied publication like Fortune that only belatedly espoused digital full-on? God, Robin, I, I struggle so hard, and it's so funny. I mean, I think about this question daily or weekly, and the question I struggle with is this. There are a lot of storied brands out there, right? And the question is, what is a storied brand worth? Um, and is the brand a positive or a negative? And I don't say that to be arrogant, and I don't say that to be glib. Michael Lewis had um, a book called The New New Thing, and I just I always loved that title. And to me, when I go out there with the stuff that we're doing, and it's under the brand name of Cheddar, and it's a new new thing, I think it's exciting to people, and I think it's I think it's amazing how quickly a brand can go from you know zero to something and something to something big. And I wonder if when a brand doesn't reinvent itself and go sideways, if it just becomes, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a has been and the brand is either worth not very much or it's overpriced in the seller's eyes uh, or it's actually a negative, you know, let's use Apple again, because, you know, you've you brought up Apple a few times. Apple was the worst brand in the world um, in the late eighties through the early nineties. Um, right. It was terrible. It was a dated logo. It, they made bad computers that had lost out. Um, they were struggling. I mean, to, to have an Apple logo was to be, you know, it, it was garbage. Now, Apple is the most prestigious, highest quality maker of consumer electronics and telephone products. Its brand is emblazoned everywhere. It's cool. It's hip. A brand can be destroyed or reinvented so quickly, and a new brand can come from something to nothing. I mean, you know, I mean, take the idea. Of, I mean, let's let's use Snapchat, right? Which, despite all the all the people kicking it in the teeth over the fact that its stock is down a bit, and you know, it's still a twenty billion dollar company. Snapchat is a, a brand with a style and a sentiment that's captured the imagination of you know a hundred million plus people globally from nothing years ago. You know, if Snapchat had bought the brand name Atari and had launched as Atari, and people would say, "Wow, the brand is iconic and it's worth so much," it's not clear to me that Snapchat could have been what it what it ended up being. Hmm. Finally, I mean, the half trillion dollar wild card for a brief moment this week, Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, another Princeton guy, was the wealthiest man on the planet. And uh, in a in a in a weird turn of events, I mean, he's parlayed a lot of his wealth and his energy and his momentum into investing in media. We know he purchased privately the Washington Post uh, several years ago, and he's really reinvigorated that brand digitally. And we know that Amazon uh Original productions are huge Emmy and Golden Globe contenders. Uh, how does that play into the the grand scheme of things? I mean, this is a guy who likes to bundle. This is Amazon Prime, after all. Well, you know, uh, Amazon's an investor now, um, so obviously, I felt like they've had a lot to bring in the media um, space to us. You know, it's funny. There's a couple executives that I think about. You know, I mean, I can hold my own, and you know, I've got a decent ego I, with just about anybody, right? Like, I feel like if I was, you know sitting with John Malone from Liberty, unless we got into crazy tax structures, which, you know, he's the king of, I, I, I would feel pretty comfortable. I think about having dinner with Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, and it's a little terrifying. I just think they're so much smarter than 
me or any human being, um, it's a bit terrifying. All I can give you is the very simple uh, reading of the situation, which which may be, you know, which I may just be naive in thinking, which is, um, you know, Bezos realizes that thinks that media is the ultimate, the ultimate giveaway. He thinks it's the ultimate thing to throw into the bundle um, to sell the stuff and to sell the relationships where there really is high margin. And that, you know, you spend a few billion bucks on media, you're going to make a lot more selling toilet paper and toothpaste. Um, and I think that's the conventional read on it. Um, you know, prime subscribers at an, are at an all time high. I think the stat came out a week or two ago that prime subscribers would surpass all cable television subscribers by 2020 or 2021. Um, and it, it seems unlikely that the spending is going to cause him any real financial pain. Um, so, you know, I think he figured that out. I mean, you know, you know, when he, when they won the Oscar, I'm sorry, when they won the Emmy award, I believe it was for transparent or one of their shows, you know, um, there was a lot of tweets that said things like Amazon, you know, the company that both, you know, wins Academy awards and sells toilet paper. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Wow. John Steinberg, serial media entrepreneur, founder and CEO of Cheddar, doing big things and, and taking time from his uh, busy schedule. I, I understand you're in your right to walk on the beach with your family. I really appreciate your willingness to come on this show and kick my ass for 40 minutes. No, no, no. You know what? I, I'm a big believer that the people that are your friends uh, when you need friends um, are the real friends. And you and I go way back. And you know, when, when you're on top, people... Uh, Everyone wants to be your friend. And when you have moments of despair and challenges, there's very few friends to call and people to know. Um, so, you know, I'm a big believer in, in uh, you know, going back to where you uh, where you renew people. Thanks, from the man. And from the cheap seats, let me say honestly that I'm, I'm really proud of you. Oh, thank you. It means a lot, man. Full disclosure, we are on NPR One and on iTunes at link FullDRadio.com, Twitter at FullDRadio, Facebook.com slash FullDRadio. Holler if you'd like to sponsor or maybe throw me $10 million. Uh, you down with OTT? Yeah, you know me. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week.